God has changed my life. I can't wait to tell my friends and family. I'm trying to walk down the right road. But why does everybody seem to be against me now? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. And if you miss this radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded, and you're going to find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com. That's our hub and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. And, uh, and that's all God's Resistance, spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Also, you will find us, weather permitting, and uh, that we will be around to do so. It, at the square in Wilkesbury, 11 o'clock in the morning, we preach outside, have um, meeting outside, church meeting outside, and uh, so you're welcome to be there. And 6 p.m. every Sunday at Kirby Park at the pavilion that's right against the baseball diamond. So we hope to see you there. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Today. We're going to be talking about being rejected in your hometown, rejected in your hometown. So when you're not in your own territory, people really don't know your past. They don't know your intelligence. They don't know what you know. They don't know your family. They don't know your failures. They don't know your heart of hearts. They don't know your secret life. People are curious when you're not in your own hometown or your own territory, and they, they see somebody new, and they want to know who you are. So they give you a chance. But when you're in your hometown or when you're where you grew up and around the people you know, people know what your past is. They know what your intelligence is. They know your family. They know your failures. They know your heart. They know your secret life or so they think most of the time. And you know, people just get used to the sameness of things. Well, we've seen this kid. We've seen this guy. We hung out with him. He lived in our town. He's nothing special. Like all these thoughts can go through people's minds. And they get used to that sameness, so you're, you're really nothing special to them. And you really impress no one, or you impress very little amount of people. Small town life, and I, I say small town life, that's not just small towns. It's like, it can be here in the city of Wilkes-Barre. You grew up in Wilkes-Barre all your life, and people know you, that you've been around. It's that small town mentality, where everyone has basically nothing better to do than to know and criticize everyone else's business. They naysay any opportunity of advance in your life because, after all, you're just you. You're nobody special. But when Jesus was outside of Nazareth, which was his hometown, people heard his teaching in the synagogues and they glorified him. That's what Luke chapter 4, 15 tells us. And, but what a drastic change when he came into his hometown, into Nazareth. So let me ask you this question. Do you feel like you can't get ahead? Every step that you take, 
God toward God is criticized and mocked by those around you? Is that you, dear listener? Well, let's look into the Bible here and see what the Bible can teach us and help us with about this. Now, I'm looking at a compilation of a couple different places of Scripture kind of synthesized together. That's Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, Mark chapter 1, 4 through 15, and Luke chapter 4, 15 through 30. Now, they've all been synthesized here. From that time, Jesus began proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And leaving Nazareth, he went down and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them has the light dawned. So here we find a pretty crazy occurrence in the life of Jesus. You know, we often think, nobody understands me, nobody gets me, or, you know, you kind of feel all alone. Then you look at the life of Jesus and you feel, maybe he, maybe he gets it. Seems his own, you know, town, the people that knew him from when he was younger, they turn against him and they hate him so much they want to throw him off a cliff. So here we find a few things here. First, Jesus coming into his hometown and this declaration that he makes. And he makes this in the synagogue. So Jesus' custom, ever since he was little, his parents brought him to the synagogue. Then when he got of age, he himself was going to the synagogue. And his custom was to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, in the Jewish times, that would have been Saturday was their Sabbath. And when they go to the Sabbath, or when they go to the synagogue, the, what normally happened was the scriptures were read. And so here he goes to the synagogue to hear the scriptures read. And at that time, there was a lot of corrupt worship in the synagogue. More things were for um, the 
elite leaders than it really was for the people. So it was corrupt worship. But you know, Jesus didn't, didn't say, well, their worship is corrupt. They're not doing things right. So I'm just going to stay home and do it myself. He still went in spite of all of that to worship and to hear the word of God, because that's what he was after. Do you have the custom of worship in the house of God? You may say, oh, there's a bunch of hypocrites in there. I don't even go in there. Who cares about the hypocrites? Let them stand before God. Let them answer to God for what they have to do. But what about you? Do you go to worship God? Do you go there to hear his word? Oftentimes when people don't make time to go to church, to a church or to a house of worship, they don't, they don't worship at all. When they don't go to a place to hear the word of God, they don't read the word of God at all. I'm not saying that that is across the board, but generally speaking, that is what happens. So do you have the custom of worship in the house of God? So they're in the synagogue, and then Jesus stands up to read. And this was a custom in the synagogue. In our culture, this is a little strange. Uh, This kind of thing generally wouldn't happen inside of a church, but that was their custom. A priest would stand up and read. A Levite would then read, and then five Israelites would read every Sabbath day. And so when they read, they were to stand up, and that was alluding back into some Old Testament passages, and I think in the, in, in the book of Ezra where it's talking about standing and reading the Word of God, that was a custom that they had done. And these all were appointed by the congregation or the chief of the congregation, and that's where it says he gave the scroll to the attendant. There was attendance, there was a chief that was in charge of the synagogue, all that. So the priests, the Levite, the five Israelites, those were all appointed by the congregation uh, to stand up and read and to do these things. So Jesus was the one that stood up. And so it's probably safe to assume that Jesus likely was appointed to read because he was known in his hometown, and it would have been a common gesture to allow something like that to take place. So Jesus chose what what to read. The scroll was given to him. And Jesus chose what to read. He flips, or he flips, he rolls to the book of Isaiah and he reads, uh, and you can find this verse in Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus stands up in the middle of all those people that knew him. And maybe there were some there that didn't, but most seem to. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus stood up and read in the synagogue. You know, there must have been some kind of authority that was owned by God in the moment because everyone, after he was reading, stared at him. And then he sat down, and they're all kind of looking at him with this awe and astonishment after he says these words. Furthermore, you know, they look at him after he reads these words, but then he expounds on a little farther and he says, the scripture that I just read has been fulfilled today. With that, Jesus claimed that he was the Messiah and all the people there understood that that was his intent in reading that and speaking it and and then saying those words afterwards. So, The congregation thought his words were gracious, the scriptures tell us. His tone and message was different than the Pharisees' hard and unfeeling message concerning their bloody revolutionist Messiah, because they thought that the the Messiah that was going to come was going to free them from Roman oppression, 
He was going to wipe out the Romans and set up the kingdom of Israel again on earth. And so this bloody battle was going to happen and God was going to deliver them. However, he stands up and says he's going to give sight to the blind. He's going to help the, give good news to the poor, uh, release the captives out of captivity, uh, and help all those that are procles, uh, excuse me, that proclaim uh, or help all those that were oppressed. So here we have an entirely different message from what they thought of in their revolutionary Messiah. Here's this one that's speaking these gracious words to people. And though they may not have fully understood what all that means, they did, re- they did realize, man, this is graciousness and this kind of sounds like it's for me. So Jesus speaks these words. That was the declaration that had taken place from the mouth of Jesus. Sometimes we have a declaration. We were a certain way in our life. Maybe we came to a crossroads. And when we came to that crossroads, we said, you know what? This is who I am now. This is what I do now. This is what I don't do now. This is who I want to be, and this is how I'm walking. And we make a declaration of who we are. At first, you make that declaration to your family, your friends. There's probably a bit of curiosity. I remember after that happened to me, after I gave my life to Christ, and he gave me a new spirit within me, gave me a new heart. I was saved. I was born again. After that happened, I remember talking to some friends, and at first they were somewhat intrigued, but it didn't stay at that intrigue factor. And it's very much the same as what we find here with Jesus. So then we find there's this little bit of homely meeting and taunting now. The declaration happened. They're all in awe. The congregation thinks his words are gracious. And then somewhere along the way, a turn of feeling, a turn of thought takes place. So they agreed at this point with Jesus' application of that particular scripture he read that that was supposed to apply to the Messiah. That I think they all agreed. But when he then made that application to himself and said, today is this scripture fulfilled in your sight, now they've got a problem. They're thinking to themselves, isn't, isn't this Joseph's son? We know Joseph. And they did not think too highly of him because they thought that um, Mary, Jesus' mother, had an affair with somebody else, got pregnant with them, and then Joseph somehow tried to cover it up. So they're thinking he's married to a whore. and. Jesus is an illegitimate child because he was born out of wedlock. These are all the, the things that people had thought there was a stigma upon them. And they're thinking, wait a minute, he stood up, he says he's a Messiah. Isn't this Joseph's son? And they look at him and they're thinking, he's hardly a political conqueror. He's hardly prince material. The guy's a carpenter. He's Joseph's son. You know, sometimes we have to struggle a little bit with our past. Even though we know God has done a, a mighty change in us, we have to struggle with our past because of what people remember of us. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S. R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com 
or call us at 570-362-7782. So how could someone who these people knew in the town of Nazareth from childhood, speaking about Jesus, how could these people of Nazareth who knew Jesus from childhood, how could Jesus be the Messiah? That's essentially what happened. First, audit his words. Oh, they're so gracious and wonderful, but wait a second. How could this dude, how could this guy be the Messiah? <clears throat> Your friends and family may think very little of you after you give yourself to God and after you experience a radical change. They, might, they may not think really too highly of you. And, you know, 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4 kind of helps us to understand that this is a common experience. He says there, for the time already passed is more than enough for doing what the unsaved Gentiles like to do, namely this, living unrestrained as you have done in a course of shameless sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and wanton idolatries. In connection with all this, they, the unbelievers, are resentful and surprised that you do not think like them, value their values and run hand in hand with them into the same excesses of dissipation and immoral freedom, and they criticize and abuse and ridicule you and make fun of your values. Okay, so we find that's a common occurrence. So I do want you to know, dear listener, if you're trying to walk towards God and you're giving your life to God and it seems like your family's against you and others have turned against you and they make a mock of you and they persecute you, you're not alone. That seems to be a common thing. If, if you're going to forsake your old wicked life and start to walk with God, they're going to think it's strange that you're not doing that with them anymore. So you start walking with God. And people are not happy for you, but they're rather offended. The, the thing that's so crazy and ironic is after you've been saved and the burden of guilt and sin has been removed from you, you want to tell other people. And you're overjoyed about it. But other people don't seem to be so overjoyed about it. They're offended. It's as if it's impossible for you to have changed. They're like, but I know you. I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what you're like. I've seen you for years. We lived in the same hometown. Who do you think you are? Think you're better than me? How many of you have heard that phrase? I've heard that phrase. What do you think you are? You're better than me? We've had the phrase of Christian snobbery thrown at us at times. Or you're condemning me. When all the while... There was nothing in our hearts to condemn anybody. There's nothing in my heart to condemn anybody. I just realized I don't want to go this way anymore. And so I'm not going to. And naturally, I'm going to separate myself from any of those activities or people that are going to lead me back in that direction. So I, it has nothing to do with me judging them. I'm just like, I don't want this anymore. And they get angry. You think you're better than me? Listener, don't, don't even let that get to you. Don't let that sink in. Don't let that ruin your joy in the Lord. Don't let that ruin your resolve to walk with him. They're convicted because they see that something happened in you and they don't have it. And they're mad because now you've shined the light on their wickedness. And it's not like you were intentionally trying to do so. You're just living for God and, and that's what happened. Your mere life in Christ condemns their wicked behavior. So they feel bad about it. And naturally, the reaction is to defend themselves. And trying to defend themselves, they become quite angry and accusatory to whomever it is that shed the light, namely you. 1 Peter 4, 12-16 tells us this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, 
as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Okay. So it's important for you to know that if you're going to walk with the Lord, suffering is going to come towards you. Persecution is going to come towards you. But do not think it a strange thing. It happened to Jesus. Rejoice that you get to walk with him. That's the road he walked. And you're closer to him now than you were before, even as you feel the persecution. So here we find with Jesus, the taunting started with their question about Jesus being Joseph's son. Isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we know his brothers and sisters? Who does this guy think he is? And Jesus knew what was in their heart. He knew what was going on in there. He knew what they were thinking. Which leads us on to the next part. When Jesus rebukes them. So if we look at Luke 4.23, Jesus said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So let's break that down for a minute. Physician, heal thyself. Basically, what they're saying is, prove what you claim with evidence. That was a proverb they had, and that's what it meant. Prove what you claim with evidence. They wanted that proof by Jesus in him doing the miracles that he had done elsewhere amongst them. They'd heard about it. The buzz had gone around in separate towns and cities. And they're saying, we heard you did some miracles in Capernaum. If you're who you say you are, do it right here. The problem was that these people were not of open heart as those that were in Capernaum. They were jealous. They had hatred and envy towards Christ as he made this declaration of who he was. They were doubters and haters. They weren't people looking for the truth. They were appalled that this peasant carpenter could be so bold with his claims. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? That's what's going on. You, if, you, if you're who you say you are, then prove it with all the miracles and stuff. So after we've had a, a, an encounter with Christ, the devil will taunt us sometimes with, prove it. If you're really the son of God, if you're really not the son, the only begotten, but if you're really a son of God, I should say, or a child of God, then prove it. Prove it to us. Friends and family, they'll taunt you. Oh, you th- if that's who you are, then prove it. And they don't say those words, but Oftentimes, they say certain words or their actions are in such a way where that's what's coming across. If you're really who you say you are, then prove it to us. We don't believe you. That's essentially what's happening. And it spawns because of an evil jealousy that they have inside of their heart. They perceive that you are higher up spiritually than they are, and it's an offense to them. How dare you live in such a way that makes me look like I'm not living quite right? They'd rather you be lost. They'd rather you be in the muck and mire of sin. They'd rather you have a failing life so they could feel better about themselves. The thing is, is when any individual goes to give their heart to Jesus and succeeds in that and Jesus saves them and they're born again, they're not thinking in their mind, now I can show all my friends. And listener, if that's what you're thinking, after you've come to Christ, you need to go down to the foot of the cross again. You need to ask God for forgiveness. That's a stink in God's nostrils. If you're trying to get saved so you can get even with other people or you're trying to give your life to Christ so you can really show them, that's not the right attitude. 
When we come to Christ, the attitude is, I've sinned against you and you only. And you just want to get right. You want the slate clean. That's, that's what's going on when a person gets saved. So if you have that encounter with Christ, be prepared for the taunts of the devil. Prove it. Be prepared for the taunts of people and friends and family. Prove it. And realize that when they get angry, it's because they're jealous. It's because they hate the fact that you appear to have climbed up a step higher than they have spiritually. Don't get discouraged. Don't turn away. Keep walking in the truth and let God deal with their hearts. You know you're not trying to judge them. You know you're just trying to walk with the Lord. And then in the 24th verse of Luke chapter 4, he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. No prophet. Maybe you've received a new call for your life after you have been born again and have come to Christ. Maybe that's happened to you. And he says no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. They may often find that you are, excuse me, you may often find that you are most unsuccessful uh, amongst your family and friends when you try to witness to them and tell them. I, I want to tell you that all hope's not lost for them. There have been many uh, family and friends that have turned after someone else in their family has given their life to God. But oftentimes, there seems to be not as good of progress getting the gospel into your family and friends' hearts as there are with perfect strangers. So, Lord, help us to realize that and not get discouraged and then start walking away. Oh, this is never going to work. or. I guess I'm just not who I thought it was or any of that. This is normal. This is what's going to happen. The Bible tells us, Jesus has told us. Let's move to the 25th verse of Luke chapter 4. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Zidon to a woman who was a widow. What does that help you to understand? The manifestation of Christ is not his sole responsibility to do, but it's in response to our openness of heart and to our faith. So if we want to know the truth, God said, you shall know the truth when you seek for it with all your heart. And the promise is that you'll find it. You'll find him. But people that are not wholeheartedly trying to seek God and trying to find him, they can't just give it like a test, you know. Well, God, you're just going to have to make everything work out here because I'm not going to believe in you if you don't. In mercy, sometimes God helps and proves himself when people are in the place of desperation. But these widows that were in Israel, or these, uh, yeah, these widows that were in Israel, it seems to be there were so many of them but they didn't have faith. They didn't, they didn't really have that openness of heart. So God only sent Elijah to one of these ladies. And she wasn't even in the, the places that, you know, these prideful uh, Israelites would have liked her to be. So the responsibility is not up to you to prove your conversion to a hateful world around you. They're going to always find fault where there's no fault if you're walking close to Jesus. And Jesus puts the responsibility upon the faith of the hearers, just as he spoke concerning these widows. In verse 27, we read, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So Naaman had faith himself to be healed. And he was not a Jew. He was not an Israelite, but he was the only one. There were so many lepers, but why this one? Because his heart was open. 
Others could have, but instead they were offended at the man of God and they rejected their only hope. And this will happen to many that you will come in contact with after you've been saved, and they themselves have not experienced Christ's salvation. So here's the encounter of Christ here, where when we go in our hometown, we're not so well received. They hated Jesus for what he said in way of rebuke, and ultimately they wanted to kill him because they hated him so bad. And the rage and anger towards Christ is still real today. So listener, maybe you feel discouraged because in your hometown, amongst your family and amongst your friends, they don't seem to have the same joy towards your salvation, towards your trying to walk with God and change the way that you live. And then, in fact, they seem more angry. They seem more against you. Take comfort. Take comfort with Christ and his encounter with those that did that to him and find your strength and your power in him. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. I want you to introduce yourself to me to set up a time to meet. I want to coach and help you to walk in your, uh, further with God on your journey. Uh, I also want you to like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube and Gab. There's going to be more teaching and preaching to help you on your journey. Uh, You can connect with others that are going on their journey as well. I want you to tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m., WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM, and tell your friends about our social media accounts as well. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.